Man, we got a weird church. How are you guys doing? You all right? You all right? Awesome. Awesome. Hey, um, I'm so, man, I've missed you guys so much. Like, it is wild to, I, it's been a month, honestly, since I've delivered a message here. So, and so, um, I'm so honored to be here. This is the last YA of our 2018, which is just crazy. We've gotten to see God do so much this year, and we're so grateful to him for everything that he's accomplished and everything that he's still going to do. And, uh, man, but I'm just, like, so honored. I don't know why. All day today, I just felt like, God, thank you. Thank you. Um, I honestly have no business, I feel like, sometimes preaching the gospel or being able to get up here and speak with um, people and talk to them about the goodness of Jesus. And so thank you for letting me pastor you. Um, I love you guys a lot. And um, if you are new here, man, welcome. This is, a, this is a weird church, but we love you a lot. And so, and we're so glad that you decided to join us tonight and give us your time. We're in a series called King, um, and it is all about the Christmas season, which is really, if you think about it, a bit of a paradox. Like, if you you didn't grow up in church. A whole bunch of us in here, we didn't grow up in church, right? I have no concept. I, growing up, I did not know what a Christmas tree was about. I didn't know, um, man, what presents were about. I, I just thought that maybe that's that's what the Christmas deal was. You got together with family. You put stamps, you know, on your letters. That was the whole deal. And it was years later that I found out it was actually about a man named Jesus. And so if you're in here and you feel like, yeah, you know, I have no idea what Christmas is about. Welcome to the club. We will be a bunch of goofballs that will pursue Jesus together. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, but the series King is about a king, and it is about a king of kings, a lord of lords, coming close. It is about a God who came near. It's about a king in a cradle. It's about a magnificent God who decided to conform himself to a baby and be found in a manger. And that is why it is a bit of a paradox. See, Christmas, when we get together and we stamp our envelopes and we make Christmas cookies, the whole deal of Christmas is about a God who actually decided to come close to us. Amen? A God who decided to come near. It says this in John 1. It says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. A one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. God put on human flesh and moved into our zip codes. That's what the Bible says. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And Jesus was, in fact, God. In fact, when the wise men came to visit him, they brought him frankincense and myrrh and gold, and these gifts were significant. The, uh, significant. the frankincense was to signify that he was God. He was deity, that baby Jesus, toddler Jesus, was actually God incarnate. The gift of myrrh was to signify that he was Savior because they would bury people and they would embalm them in myrrh, and it was to say that he's going to die for all of humanity. And then the gift of gold, though, the gift of gold is to say he is the king of all kings. And listen, I didn't come here tonight to deliver a normal message and give you a normal talk about something that's not going to rearrange your life. And so what I'm hoping for tonight is as we discover that Jesus is the king of all kings, the goal for tonight is that we would find our position with the king and that we would discover who we are as children of God and what we inherit as children of the king and as heirs to the king. And can somebody shut those doors because the Holy Spirit's getting out of this room? Can we just, somebody just shut those? It's actually really bothering me, sorry. I keep looking for it like, dude, if a shooter comes in, I'm in my lake. You know what I mean? All right. <laughs> king of all kings. 
Lord of all lords, God of all gods. If you came in here tonight and you um, maybe worship a different type of God, when Jesus is saying he's the king of all kings, he's like, I'm above your God. I'm above your king. I'm the king of all kings. I'm the Lord of all lords. There is no God but our God. And yet we hold a place in this kingdom where we are children and where we are heirs. And so there's a a verse that we're going to base this entire sermon around it, and it's out of Luke 15, which if you know anything about Red Rocks Church, you know that this is the chapter that we build our church on. We believe that we are a front porch for prodigals to come home to, and we believe that, oh man, there are people who are wayward, like the prodigal son, who need to meet Jesus. They need to meet their father for the very first time. They need to come home. But then we also believe that there's an older brother based on Luke 15. And in Luke 15, the father is talking to the oldest son about his inheritance and about his standing as a son. And he says this, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And so tonight we are going to talk about what it means for you and for me to be heirs to a king. And that's what I titled tonight, Heirs to a King. And so let's bow our heads and ask God to be here. God, I set myself aside. And Jesus, I ask that you would move in a powerful way tonight. God, we don't need anything else but your Holy Spirit. And so God, I give you permission to take this stage to use this worship. God, this night is for you. It's about you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, so last month, um, me and the team got to go to Los Angeles, California. We were actually there during the fires, which was interesting. Um, But we got to go to Los Angeles and visit another church and go to a different church conference and see how they do church and how they minister to their city and what they do different and what we do alike and just kind of be there together. And so we all rode on a plane together. It was awesome. And as we're, um, you know, and I love flying. I have no, like, I don't need to pop Dramamine or anything, right? Like, I love being on planes. In fact, I feel like I'm kind of closer to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so, so I love being up in the air. Um, I don't struggle at all, but we get up and we're probably, you know, 10 minutes into our flight and we hit one of those air pockets where the plane kind of drops like two feet and you feel like you're on a, you know, your stomach does the whole thing. And, um, and all of a sudden I had a thought, like I'm sure all of us have had the thought on a plane where it's like, oh, I might die today. (laughs) You know, like everybody thinks that. I don't know why we think that, but we all go to that conclusion. Like we're so severe, you know, and we're like, it might be today. And I look at John and he's sitting next to me and our children aren't with us. And I'm like, and then I look to my left and I see our whole team. And I'm like, the entire young adult staff could die today. <laughs> and I was like, and we, know, and we wouldn't have young adults. You know what I mean? And then, and then I looked at John and I was like, we could die today. Like the parents of our children could die today. And so what I did was what any normal, like normal thinking, rational person would do. I emailed my mom a temporary will. Kid you not. I got on the, like the plane Wi-Fi and I was like, dear mom, subject line, temporary will. And I was like, mom, should we die on this airplane? Swear to God, this is what I wrote. Or, or should we get shot in Los Angeles? I want to leave the children to you and dad. Take care of a mom and take them to church. Swear, swear to you, this is what I wrote. And then, and then I said, all of our possessions, we don't have very many things, but you know, we got little things, but you know, those go to our kids. I said, all of our savings, not very much, but you know, don't rue the day of small beginnings. I said, that goes to our kids. 
Godspeed, love your daughter, Jessie. Like, I literally was like, and, my, you know, my mom gets it, and she's like, oh, that's my dramatic baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I realized, like, I, don't, I didn't make a will because I don't think about inheritances ever. Like, do you think, like, we do not, in 2018, we don't think about inheritances. We don't think about wills. We don't think about inheriting something. In fact, this week, I was doing some investigation on inheritances because um, I wanted to know, like, what were the biggest ones that were given in the 21st century? And the bi- one of the biggest ones, I found a list, was from the founder of H&M. And he gave all of his inheritance to one of his heirs named Tom Persons. And he gave a total sum of $1.9 billion to Tom Persons, which makes me never want to shop at H&M ever again. Thank you very much. I'm like, I will, out of spite. You know what I mean? (laughs) The second one that I read about was for BMW. And let's see, I want to get this right. It was for BMW, and it went to a man named Stefan Quant. And it was $20.3 billion. And then the founder of Lego, I found this for Emily Schmaltz. Holler at you, girl. Wherever you're at, she loves Legos. And um, it went to his grandson named Kirk Christensen, and it went to, uh, for, to the sound of $22.8 billion. But the cream of the crop, the top of it, was from our very own Sam Walton, okay, who founded Walmart, where you will shop this Christmas. And he gave all three of his kids a lump sum where they each got $45 billion apiece. See, inheritance matters for like people like that, but for people like you and me, we're like middle class, lower middle class, and we're like, well, I'm getting a dresser from my grandma. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> or we'll like inherit like our parents' social security debt, you know what I mean? And so, like, for real. I love it when people are like, millennials are so entitled. I'm like, I'm paying for you to live right now. So, you're welcome. <laughs> For real. But seriously, I don't ever think about inheritances. We don't ever think about inheritance. And yet in first century Judea, when Jesus was growing up, everybody thought about inheritances. Everybody knew about inheritances because they had so much to do with the familial unit. Listen, it wasn't just about money. It wasn't just about a plot of land. It was about the family heritage and legacy and longevity. It was about keeping the family together. And it was profoundly important to any first century Jew. And so at one point, even in the Bible, this man named Ahab goes up to a man named Naboth and he wants to buy land from Naboth and he gives him like a a large sum of money to buy this land. And Naboth looks at him and he says, no way, man, I'm not selling you my ancestral inheritance. I can't do it. I won't do it. It's priceless to me. And there was kind of an order for how you did it based on the Torah and based on Jewish tradition. There was an order to how you got an inheritance. Number one, um, according to Jewish tradition, it always went to a son, particularly the firstborn son. And if you had a bulk of sons, then the firstborn son got twice as much as anybody else. If you didn't have any sons, then it went to the daughters. If you didn't have any daughters, then it went to the brothers. And if you didn't have any brothers, then it went to a tribesman who you were very, very, very close with because they wanted to keep it in the family. It was all about imparting something together. 
And I think in, you know, 2018, we don't think much about legal inheritance. But what we need to understand is that God feels this way about our inheritance, that our inheritance is important to him, and that while we may not have a legal inheritance, while we may not, not, may not be one of Sam Walton's kids, we have a spiritual inheritance in God. It says this in Romans 8, for those who are led by God, um, or I'm sorry, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The moment that you decide to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you receive his Spirit, meaning you no longer live by your emotions, you no longer live by your flesh, you no longer are being led by the world or led by people's opinions or led by fear. You are now led by the Spirit that lives within you. And then it says this, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's kids. And if we are his kids, then we are his heirs. And if heirs of God, then co-heirs with Jesus. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm sorry, that's amazing. Some of you are sleeping and that's fine. We're gonna get to you tonight, okay? But here's the deal, is that according to the Bible, this word inherit means to be given a gift that is irrevocable. Meaning that nobody can take it away Nobody can steal it from you. The devil has no rights to it. It cannot be taken away. Romans tells us also that the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. And not only that, but the word inherit in the Bible uh, gave a particular um, significance to the benefactor and their relationship to the recipient. Meaning it was about family. It was important. It was about us inheriting something forever. And I think this, I think that our inheritance as, and position as sons and daughters of God, it makes a way for us in this world. Listen, it sets you apart in ways and sets your future up in ways that no other theological belief can. And so if you could, for the last 24 days of your 2018, get a vision and get a revelation in your heart of what it means for you to have an inheritance, you would do no greater thing. And if you do nothing else to set up your 2019 for miracles and joy and peace, it would be to gain an understanding of your adoption as sons. And so I would love for you to do this. I would love for you to memorize Romans 8 from now until, uh, you know, the end of this year. And if not, then, hey, you've got all of 2019. You're like, I'm a slow reader. That's fine. Listen, it is so important, this idea of sonship, it makes you powerful. This theology of sonship, it makes you unstoppable. This theology of sonship, it, it makes you like Jesus. And there's a whole generation right now growing up that doesn't know who they are because they don't know whose they are, and they have no idea what they've inherited. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about what it means for you to be an heir of the king of all kings of the Lord of all lords. And I'm asking for God's grace because I think it's so important. It says this uh, first, or this will be our first point tonight, I'm sorry. As an heir, you are no longer bound to a spirit of fear. As an heir, you are no longer bound to a spirit of fear. There is a sleepy spirit in here tonight. I'm not sure what's up with this room right now, 
but we are going to get after it. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of pissed. Is that okay? I don't know if you don't care about your spiritual reckoning, but I do, so I'm going to fight for it, okay? Is that cool with you? Dang. Sleepy room tonight. That's cool. You might not care about your future. I do. Um, as an heir, you are no longer bound to a spirit of fear. It says this in Romans 8. The spirit you have received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Fear has to be one of the most prevalent and dominant and driving forces of the human condition. Right now, our generation uh, talks about anxiety, which is the medical outcome of fear more than any other diagnosis. I was just reading in Newsweek this last week, and it talked about how our generation is the most anxious generation of all time. We live in fear. We are afraid of making decisions. We are afraid of making uh, choices. We are afraid of making mistakes. We are afraid of living the life that God has so lavishly given us. We are afraid of our lives. And I was reading this week about fear, and um, there are two types of fear that you are born with as a baby. The first is you are afraid of being dropped. And for those of you who are slow in here, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen. It's time. I'm digging. Um, the second fear is the fear of loud noises. And every other fear you have after that is a learned fear. You learn it. It's something you adopt into your life. And I was reading about phobias, which is an anxiety dis disorder. And there are different types of phobias. And according to a 1998 study, which is like two decades old, it said that there are over, I'm sure there's more now, 8,000 phobias that they have medically diagnosed. And so I thought we'd go through some of them because why not? They're fun. The first one is this, agoraphobia. It's the fear of tight spaces. This is why Sean Johnson, he for real struggles with anxiety. This is why when he got stuck on a subway in New York City and it like just stopped moving, he had like a panic attack because he had a fear of tight spaces. That's understandable. There's agoraphobia, which is the fear of heights. But then there's some interesting ones. There's ecclesiophobia, which is the fear of church, which is kind of silly. I, I was thinking about it this week. I was like, that's kind of weird, unless you met our youth staff, right? And then you're like, oh, totally. So I'm afraid of the, our future uh, generation. Um, Alidoxophobia, which is the fear of opinions. Okay, so this person needs to avoid Twitter, especially on Mondays, because it will destroy them, right? Okay, and then, uh, then there's the fear of dancing called chorophobia. Sorry, I flipped them. I'm so sorry. Chorophobia, uh, which is the fear of dancing. We see these people at weddings, but we don't label them as having chorophobia. We just call them totally lame, right? <laughs> And then there's this one that I just thought was awesome, and it's felinophobia, or the fear of cats. And since cats are from Satan, this made perfect sense to me. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. There are three other, this is such a prevalent fear. I'm not kidding, such a prevalent fear. There are three other words that mean fear of cats. Um, Alorophobia, allorophobia, galeophobia, and gotophobia. Because our friends down south are afraid of cats too, right? <laughs> uh, 
And here's what I learned as I was researching. Here's what I discovered as I was researching, is that fear for our generation is prominent, and fear is acceptable. You know, anxiety is like the socially acceptable, like cool hipster version of depression. You know what I mean? Like people say, oh, I have anxiety. And you're like, oh, that sounds so unique. Are you all right? Can we hang out? Where do you shop? You know, like anxiety, depression, like these things that we talk about. Listen, it has become a label that we have accepted for ourselves. And we live in fear and we receive it and we say, this is just how my life is. I'm just afraid all the time. And we live in a spot that Jesus never intended us to live. The Bible says this, that we have not been given a spirit of a slave that makes you afraid again, but you have been given the spirit that has adopted you and made you a daughter or made you a son, meaning this, that when we live in fear, we are living before, below who we actually are in Jesus. When we live in fear, we are living below our identity in Christ. When you live in fear, you are actually living below your default in Christ. You are living below your baseline in Jesus. The Bible tells us this, that God is love. Amen? God is love. Meaning he doesn't just feel love. He doesn't just, man, he doesn't just express love. He actually is the characterization of love. And then the Bible says this, um, and there is no love in fear. Or that there is no fear in love. There's no fear in God. There's no fear in love. And perfect love casts out fear. And then it says this. It says that those who fear have not been perfected by love. If you are in here tonight and you've got this fear bottling you up, it could be because you don't fully comprehend the love of God and you don't fully comprehend who you are in Jesus. God is love. God is love. In other words, you have a dad who's got you. Amen. You've got a dad who's got you. This is a phrase. I've been a Christian now for a decade and a half, and this has been a phrase that God has said to me again and again over the last couple of years. And the very first time he said it to me, I've got you, Jess. I'm with you, Jess, was when I was early in my marriage to John. And he was the breadwinner of our family. And we um, had just purchased our first town home. And we had purchased two baby puppies. Because that's what you do before you have real babies. Because you're too scared. You know? <laughs> Connor Graham, have a real baby. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. I totally want you to have one. Because then I get to hold it. Um, and so, so we had just done this. And then our, on our first year anniversary, um, man, John lost his job. He got laid off. And I was working at the church, and literally I was making, like, circus peanuts. They paid me in food. They were like, you're cool with this, right? I was like, I totally am. <laughs> and I was overwhelmed with fear. So overwhelmed with fear. In fact, we got rid of our cars and, um, because we had notes on them, and then we bought vehicles that we could afford for a couple thousand dollars. And I remember we had John's new kind of beater vehicle that we were driving down the highway. We had had it two weeks, and all of a sudden, something loud crashed in the engine, and it started to smoke, and fear overwhelmed me. And I remember
And I just sat there and cried while like John lifted the hood, right? And, but this language, this language of I've got you, I've got you, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, fear not, it's all over the Bible. In fact, it says this in Ephesians 1, um, I have promised the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God's possession, in other words, God puts his hand on your life. Have you ever thought about how big God's hands are? My daughter thinks about it all the time. She sings that God has the whole world in his hands. She believes it. I don't know why we don't, but God's hand is on you. It says this in Psalm 63. It says, with passion, I pursue you and I cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. God says, fear not. I've got you. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm holding you in the palm of my hand. I remember a month after our car gave way, I was sitting in the office and somebody walked in um, whom I won't name because they didn't want to be named and it was just a congregant from our church, somebody that didn't even know me very well. And they walked up and they gave John and I a check and it was enough for us to buy a new engine for his car. And then about a week after that, he said, I need you to start giving, Jess. And I was like, I'm sorry, we had no money, you know? <laughs> He's like, I got you, do I not? I got you. This weekend, we're doing a giving service where we're giving instead of taking. He's like, I want you to give. I'm like, we, I, we have nothing. I don't. I talked to John, and like literally at that time, we were doing compassion, and 50 bucks for us was like, do you know what I mean? 50 bucks for us like sunk us. And we decided, we we're like, we're going to start giving like never before. We're going to start tithing like never before. We're going to up our tithe percentage every year. And in that season, we made less than we have ever made in our lives. I kid you not. We gave more than I think we've ever given in our lives. And listen to me, we saved more than we've ever saved in our lives. And I don't know how, except for the fact that God's got you. It's not your stuff. It's not your money. It's not even your life. And who are we to think that we're in control of everything when it's actually his and we're his heirs? God is for you not against you, which means you can't even be against yourself. See, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but the spirit of a son or a daughter. The second thing is this, is as an heir, you receive sonship. It says this, uh, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Sonship. When you receive God, when you receive Jesus as a six-year-old, as a 26-year-old, you become a son or a daughter of God. And in first century Judea, we already talked about this, um, but man, inheritances were everything. But every now and then, a man wouldn't have or a family wouldn't have any heirs to give it to. Or, or listen, they wouldn't find the heirs that they had um, worthy enough, for lack of a better word, to give their inheritance to. And so the only time in first century Judea, basically, when they would adopt is to find a new heir for their family. 
And so normally a man would go out into town and he would look for a specific type of a human being, a specific type of young man. And when he found him, he's like, oh, you're worthy and you would be a perfect son. And I like want you to be my son. And I want you to inherit my family's possessions. I want you to inherit my family's legacy. And that is the time when they would be adopted. It would be a practice where someone was chosen. And I don't know if you know this, but God actually chooses you. Before you ever chose him, before you ever decided to receive him, listen, he chose you. Before you ever decided to love him, he loved you. And according to 1 Peter, it says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And because of that, we know that we are a chosen people. God actually chooses everybody. I don't know if you know this. The Bible says that he desires for none to perish, but for everybody to come to saving knowledge of God. It's only on our half where we aren't saved. And so he says, I choose you, which is why, um, sorry, which is why the posture of the older brother is so problematic. See, because a child of God has access to things that a slave of God or that a servant of God doesn't have access to. And when we read Luke 15 and we read the story of the prodigal son and we know about the prodigal son, we know all about him. He asks his father for the inheritance. His father gives him his portion. He takes it and he goes and buys a beach house and hookers and like is strung out in the streets. And then he like comes to his senses and he's like, I can't do this anymore. I have no money. Like I'm in the gutter. And so he decides to go home. And on his way back home, his father meets him. But there is another son in this story. In fact, I think that this should actually be called the tale of two sons. That's what I think, because I think it's a more proper translation of it. But the other son is out in the field, and he is working. He's the good son. He is working for his father. And he is kind of managing his father's territory, and he's overseeing his crops, and he is slaving away for his father. But he has a problem, and his problem is in his heart. See, because he actually, somewhere deep within him, he believes that he is actually a slave of God instead of believing that he is a son of his father. He believes that he is actually in some way, shape, or form indebted to his father and a servant to his father than he believes that he is a son of his father. And I think for a whole bunch of people in here, Christians and non-Christians alike, we have gotten ourselves into a space where we don't know if we are a slave to our king of kings or where we are a son or a daughter to the king of kings. And we have maybe been walking in a spirit of a slave, in a spirit of slavery. If you are in here and listen, you think that God is stingy with his blessings, you might be carrying a spirit of a slave. If you're in here and you think that every time you make a mistake or you make a misstep, you might be walking in the spirit of a slave. If you believe truly that the only way for God to be pleased with you, for him to smile at you, for his countenance to be blessed upon you, is if you act right and you behave right and you achieve for him, then listen, you might have the spirit of a slave. See, the spirit of a slave believes that it is all about achieving some type of position before God based on our performance and it's about achievement and not receiving anything and the heart of God is so grieved by this he is so grieved by our position here which is why the father comes to the son and he says son why are you out here like everything I have belongs to you 
Which leads me to my last point, and it's this, as an heir, you have an inheritance. As an heir, you have an inheritance. It says this in Romans 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs. And if we are heirs of God, then we are co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, so that we may also share in his glory out of everything that takes my breath away about the gospel of my God. It is this. There are plenty of things that take away my breath. There are plenty of things that I cannot believe about the gospel. But it is this, that we are co-heirs with Jesus. I do not understand it. I do not understand it. It is too wonderful for me. And some of you grew up in a church and you actually believe that, man, that um, you getting saved by God meant you now need to religiously perform. Or you believe that getting saved by God meant you got saved from your sin. But that's only half of the gospel. That's only half of what he intended for you. The other half is that you would receive Jesus' life and that you would receive his inheritance as a co-heir. Meaning this, that everything that Jesus has access to, you have access to. Everything that Jesus owns, you own. Because you are a co-heir. And God has purchased for you. By the blood of his son. Inheritance. And it's like a gift. It's like a present. And it's full of beautiful, wonderful, powerful, unstoppable, confident things. The Bible tells us this about our inheritance in Jesus. That I'm a co-heir in Christ. It says this. It says, I have the mind of Christ. You guys can go ahead and put that slide up. I have the mind of Christ, meaning you think like Jesus thinks. That's your default. When you sin, you are actually living below your default. When you fear, you are living below your default. You have been made complete in Christ. God has given you glory, which I cannot believe that Jesus shares his glory in Christ. That you um, have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and sound mind. That's the gift. That you are holy and blameless. Sorry. That you are born of God and the devil, the evil one, cannot touch you. That you are holy and blameless. That you are holy and dearly loved. It's a gift. It's a present. And here's what I think about our generation. I think for a whole bunch of us, we raise our hands in church services and we receive a momentary, like, feel-good presence of God. But God doesn't want to just give you that. He wants to give you it all. The Bible says that he who did not spare his own son, why would he not give you everything that belongs to him? If he did not not spare his own child, why wouldn't he give you it all? And he wants to give you every single thing that Jesus has been imparted. And yet for a whole bunch of us, we never open the gift. We receive it and we never actually see what's inside. (laughs) Have you ever seen toddlers at Christmas? I have a four-year-old. Her name's Brooklyn. And man, she is crazy. Pray for me. Um, And the way that Brooklyn is at holidays, the way she is around presents, is that she believes that all presents are her presents. She thinks that all birthdays are her birthday. We're like, it's actually grandma's birthday. Don't take, that's grandma's birthday. You know what I mean? And so she's kind of like a predator towards prey, like on Animal Planet. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's how she views gifts. Like, if she sees tissue paper, if she sees, like, wrapping paper, it's like blood and water. Like, she's like, ah, and then she just, like, devours it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's her. And then she moves on to like other people's gifts. And you're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like that's how children open gifts. 
Sometimes, though, uh, have you ever seen maybe an adult open a gift? And they're like, oh, my God, you shouldn't have. Oh, my, the rat, you shouldn't have. You, I didn't even cut you anything. Oh, my, should I open it now? Oh, God, now? Okay, wait, I'm sure, okay. Um, uh, do you have scissors for, like, the side of the paper? I'm not sure. And then do I tie up, like, maybe we should save the paper. You have a place where you, you know what I mean? I'll just open it at home, you know? We are bad receivers. Somewhere along the line, we forgot how to receive gifts. Somewhere along the line, we learned how to fear. And somewhere along the line, God says, open the gift. I paid for it. It's all yours. You, you don't have to work to receive this. But somewhere along the line, we became awkward receivers to God's gifts and God's blessings. Maybe because they're free and then we can't manipulate them that way. And so I wonder tonight if we need to re-up on this idea of receiving. See, the older son, he's out in the field and he is angry. He is bitter. He is forlorn. And he's working out in the field and he's mad at his dad because the party that he earned belonged to somebody else and he's angry. And his dad comes out and he's just like, like the dad is like broken hearted. And he's like, what are you doing out here? Why? You're, this is a party. There's a party. Like, your friends are here. And he's like, I have worked for you, Dad, my whole life. I've toiled for you. I've behaved for you. I've put on a show for you. And look at what you give me. The party I was supposed to have, you gave to him. And the Bible says this, you never so much as gave me a goat. You know what he's saying? You never so much as gave me a and his dad is like heartbroken. And he looks at him the way your father is looking at you tonight. And he's like, my son, are you kidding? You're not a slave anymore. You're not a servant. I didn't buy you. You are my child. And he says this, he says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. And so if everybody could stand in here tonight. I have two questions. The first one is this. If you are in here and you don't know the Jesus I'm talking about, and maybe some friend was courageous enough to bring you and good on them because it was probably scary, or maybe you wandered in here and you're like, what is going on? And you feel kind of this like pull. Um, man, I remember when I got saved and I just knew. And God, that's what that is. That's God calling out to you. And he just wants you to, man, give your life to him so that he can give you his. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in here and you would like to receive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that we call on at Christmas time and evermore, would you just raise your hand really nice and high so I can see it? Amen. I see you. 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 Hands down. And if you're in here and you've maybe received Jesus a long time ago, 
But listen, you have been behaving as a slave and you have been performing as a servant and you have been living in fear. God wants you to know tonight that he's already purchased something for you. All you have to do is open it. If that's you in here, would you just raise both hands nice and high up to the sky to receive something to him? Just receive from him tonight and say, God, just give me everything you've already purchased for me on the cross, everything that you've already earned for me on the cross. And Jesus, I will thank you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every single person in here that got saved. We thank you for every single person that said, yes, Jesus, I want to give you my life and I want to receive your life. And God, we pray that tonight they would feel your Holy Spirit. We pray they would be filled up to overflowing. We pray that they would know who they are as your son or daughter. Even tonight, you would give them deep revelation. And God, I pray over people tonight who do not know you yet, even as they walk as Christians, God, they don't know who they are because they don't know whose they are. God, please tonight speak brightly to them and new to them. And I pray that God, that tonight would just be a breaking point and a transformation point for so many people. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming to find us in your name. And everybody said, amen.